Shut up and sit down. everyone um before the podcast um, julie and i were chatting so she's actually on um air with me already um we're going to talk about um the writing process um <laughs> before the podcast uh, starts like um, before the music starts it'll tell you that the podcast is about to start in five seconds and then it'll count down so it'll be like three two one <clears throat> And then there will be this unbearable three or four seconds of utter silence, and then the music will start. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the, um, uh, the, um, the writing process and um, when, um, when I'm comfortable asking for someone's input and um, Jilly's perspective on that and the whole idea of a beta and an alpha and some of the other ridiculous things that we've seen crop up in fandom lately. Um, that annoy the shit out of us. So let's get started. There's so much that annoys the shit out of me, but I have to say, <laughs> it's not. I'm very annoyable. Um, I'm very annoyable, um, including all the time I spent today sitting on a bridge just to find out that the reason was because because the, I have a divided bridge near my house, so you know, one completely separate section of the bridge, you know, the bridge, the two different directions are on basically on separate bridges that are beside each other. And I'm like, what's going on? And there's a Fiat pointed the wrong way, <laughs> just sitting there looking befuddled, oh. like, how did I get here? <laughs> well, I don't know how you go. Wrong direction. Somebody jumped fucked up. Comes, <laughs> yeah, they really did. Uh, and I think they didn't figure out how to get how to how to get out of it, which is kind of can happen when you're writing by committee. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you get into it. Because there's like, that point where you go, you know what? Where you want to say, "Oh my God, your advice sucks," but you, just, oh, okay, <laughs> you walk away. <laughs> I've never written by committee, but I have encountered, I have had situations where I've gotten really bad advice from other writers. Um, I think we all have. Um, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I know I've given bad advice to writers in the past because I'm one of those assholes that you tell people to write what you know. So, which is the worst advice I've ever given, <laughs> I've ever gotten or given. So, um, I know I've done it. You know, um, nobody's immune to that. My snack for the show is a mandarin orange or two. I'm eating a peanut butter dark chocolate bar thingy, kind eight gram protein I'm, bar. That it's it's lazy food. I'm I don't want to have to work for it. Oh yeah, somebody. I'm kind of jealous. Robin, I've, it's really it's just surprising. You've tried the kind bars with the they have a lot of different kind bars, but the dark chocolate peanut butter is my favorite. It's exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. I'm about to get one and try that. And I've never had it spike my blood sugar. 
Awesome. Um, but somebody mentioned round robins. I've done a few of those. Um, I, it, it just, it's one of those things where if you, if you had it, if it went well for you the first time, like you really, really came up with something good, it's kind of like, believe me, that's the anomaly in my opinion. And then you're like chasing that nirvana and going, oh, it could be good like this again. No, probably it can't. <laughs> it, it probably can't. Um, and um, I had the same experience actually with co-writers. Is the first time I co-wrote with somebody, it was such a amazing experience that I kept trying it, trying to find that same magic as that first person I wrote with, and I never found it again. Um, I had a lot of really bad writing experiences between that first one and giving up on the whole co-writer thing. Um, but I did do the most I've ever actually actual, actual writing. Not we're talking when we talk about writing by committee, it's talking about basically a lot of people giving opinions. But the most actual writing I've ever done in the story outside of a round robin was three. Um, and that was an interesting experience. We never quite finished the story, but it was it went well for what it was. Um, my experience with Round Robin is there's always one person in it who turns it into a crack pick. And no matter how yeah, hard you try to like, get it back on track, it, it never happens. It almost sometimes it, it either, it's either crack, which is, or you have somebody who seems like they're deliberately trying to sabotage whatever he's doing. It's like everybody else's path is clear, and then you have one person who comes in and, like, drops a nuclear warhead on all your characters, and you're like, oh. Well, I'm just trying to keep it spicy. Well, we're just trying to end the story. What's the matter with you? <laughs> you need to be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you pretty much need to be drunk. I mean, every and once not in a while I've about seen... the end result. Yeah, and that's hard because especially if you've plotted out a story and you're trying to, you know, get to that end. Um, I've done both plotted round robins and, and the sort of free-for-all thing. Um, it's actually more frustrating when it's plotted because it's like you have a goal and the person who's fucking it up, you know they're fucking it up on purpose. It's not just a, I thought this would be a kind of thing. But I just take it too seriously to um, do round robins. Um, I would, I would, I take the, I would take wanting to, to do my best with it and I would get very angry at people not doing their best with it. And uh, it just it just was a more of a frustrating experience than than it needed to be than I wanted to engage in. But usually <laughs> when we talk about people writing by committee, it's like um, you know you see the list of ten people in the author note that helped them hammer out their idea and who acted as technical consultants and. Tra la 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 through the whole thing, and it's kind of like, what? Well, no wonder this thing is so unfocused. And the leprechaun that's now the Omega reader, don't you don't? Yeah. I have to I, mute for um, a second. I bel- okay. Okay. I'll be back. I belong. Okay. I'll. Um. I. Um have a pretty large writing community um, in real life. Um, and one of my functions in my writer group is um, I'm kind of a plot doctor. Um, 
hoping that um, somebody can sit down and tell me their plot and I can tear it to pieces and and tell them why it's not working if it's not working for them. Or I can help them figure out how to get it where it needs to go. You know, you this is your give me your plot, give me your idea and tell me what your problem is. And a lot of times, um, because of the way my mind works and because of my O C D and also because I have um um just just that's just a function of my anxiety, I can I can hone in on, on problems and issues in other people's plots that way. And so, um that's one of the functions, the larger functions in, in my writer group is I'm a plot doctor. Um, it isn't something that um, it isn't something I necessarily enjoy, but it is something that I do for, for very close friends <laughs> because because it, 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 uh, it can make me very anxious, especially if they don't listen. Um, if, if they don't listen to what I'm, I'm saying, or they dismiss what I'm saying, or they tell me they already know that part, it it really throws me off, and I can't do it for them. So it isn't something I do for just anybody that I know that is a writer because it it can um, spike my OCD in a, in a very um, specific and unhealthy way if um, the person who comes to me isn't genuine in their desire to hear what I have to say <laughs> and take me seriously. Because, yeah, I mean, it can be, can be really nerve-wracking um, <clears throat> for me. Um, but uh, so... I'm familiar with that whole thing, but today I was, um, I was, um, uh, I was on Facebook and someone asked it, I, I saw the term plot critter and I'm thinking to myself, really? So now I need a pl- so now I need a critique partner to critique my plot and then I need a beta reader after I finish and I might need an alpha reader and apparently I might need an omega reader and I'm like, fandom, you're too complicated. This is my hobby. If I wanted to go through that entire editing process of a professional project, I'd be writing original fiction where I would be subject to a content editor, a line editor, and a proofer. Just saying. And the committee would be in the front where they were telling me whether or not they were going to buy my book. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying, this is my hobby. I am not going to have a plot critter and um, a beta reader and an alpha reader and an omega reader and whatever fucking Zelta Delta reader or whatever they come up with next. No. That's a hard no. I, I'm not <laughs> sure if it's, if it's trying to give everybody in the... I don't know if it's like trying to give everybody some kind of official function or what, but <clears throat> um, I have to be on board with a Lombata reader. <laughs> I like the Lombata. <laughs> I shake my ass a little bit. Um, Not Lambda, Lombata. It has to be Lombata. <laughs> yeah, let's get those hit. Let's get to the hip movement. Um, the whole, the whole, usually what I, when I see that, like, I feel like sometimes people are plotting by committee. Um, and, you know, when I'm having a problem with plotting, I definitely go to my writer buddies and we work it out. Um, and one of the things I, I often say is that um, um, that I don't always take good advice. Uh, and, it, and it's not because – and it's sort of like I know sometimes that somebody is giving me good advice about, you know, something um, – but 
it doesn't always quite resonate um, in the story the way uh, I I would need an answer an answer to. So sometimes I will disregard something that actually is is I know it's good advice, um, but it, it's not like I'm. But it's not the same as ignoring like somebody points out um, the game. Um, wow. Yeah, and I disregard it. It's a case of, you know, nobody can... No, my experience with you as an alpha reader is that you're very good about opening up your process when you're ready to open it up. Yeah, and I I think I'm pretty good about taking feedback when I ask for it. I don't typically, I'm not one of those people who asks for feedback and then sits there, you know, with my teeth clenched waiting for the boom to fall because I don't, you know, like I said, I don't open it up until I'm actually ready to have that. And then I go into it with kind of an open mind of this is when, you know, that I'm actually looking for. This but also, like, I one think story. When, you, when you ask for an alpha read, it's because you know you have a problem and sometimes you just don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there was one story, you know, really notably that um, I, ask, I normally don't ask for an alpha read when I don't have much done. Um, because I just don't see the point. But there was one story. I was so stuck. I, w- I wasn't more than like two chapters into it, and I was just, which for me is usually about 10,000 words. Um, I'm kind of old school in that 5,000-word chapter average thing. Um, although sometimes I have, I think my longest chapter ever is like almost 9,000 words. But I just didn't feel like there was, I could have broken that into two chapters easily, but it would have been a cliffhanger no matter where I broke it. And I didn't yeah. want to put a cliffhanger in at that point in the story, so I just let the chapter be 9,000 words. Um, but mostly I, I geared towards So that, we're talking about I had about 10,000 words written of what I think was, a, I want to say, a 35 or 40,000-word story. And I was just stuck. I was so stuck. And I asked, I asked, you know, I asked, I asked you for, for help. Um, and you zoomed right was in on the Was this the gift story? Wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was that kind of Gibbs character study thing. Um, and you picked the problem out almost right away and you just, and you, and I was like, oh yes, you're absolutely right. And I, I completely rewrote very little of the original beginning of that story survived. Um, some of it did, but most of well, it, I think that you I get blinders on as a writer and you just, you think you've done something here. And like with me and the, um, the courting Hermione Granger, I had, um, near the end of it, I had a real sharp, uh, drop um in um in the falling action or in the in the climax i had a it it was just it was it was very abrupt and i um it, it was reading wrong to me but i really wasn't quite sure what was wrong with it so i asked julie to read it and she pointed it out to me and i was like oh god yeah of course that's like, that's exactly the problem <laughs> hello <laughs> so i ended up putting a whole chapter in to, um, to fix it. So the ending wasn't going <laughs> you know? It was like getting punched in the face. It was. That's like, and so. I think that's exactly what I described it to you as I said, yeah. I don't know if you meant it this way, but these two events back to back was a little like getting slapped in the face. It, everything <laughs> about it is good, but them so close together, I, like I had no room to breathe. It went left. And it was just, right. yeah, it yeah, it was. It was an emotional. Even though it, you still had falling action to go, it was such an emotional crash that it was like I don't know. It was it was 
It's like feeling desolate. I was like, whoa, dude. (laughs) For a fic that was so gentle the whole way through, those two events back-to-back really, um, it, it was, it, it changed the tone of the story and separating those two events at the end um, gave the reader breathing room. It also gave me breathing room and then I could end it on a sweeter note to, to balance out the ugliness that had happened. But having that happen back to back was. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes some of that stuff happens because you're writing and you know, um, you you especially are really good about not putting in things that don't really serve your story, like not putting in scenes that aren't aren't building the story. So you stay very on task in that regard, and um, and so it can I could see where it could be hard to insert something that seems like it's extraneous. Um, and it was extraneous you, to me. Yeah. <laughs> Until you're, until you're editing. When you're actually in the writing process, you're kind of going, that's extraneous, I'm not putting it in. Um, and then you're editing and you're going, something's not right. <laughs> Maybe I need something I need to soften the blow is, is, is basically what it boiled down to. Um, but your story was a little different. Yours, was a, yours wasn't an event issue. Yours was a character issue. So. Yeah, I had inadvertently characterized Tony badly. Um, and I, the really key thing in that story to straighten things out was to just stay out of Tony's point of view. Um, and I, well, I changed his actions entirely. His actions were, um, were not consistent with how I would normally portray him, which was why I was getting this hard stop in my head was I was tripping over it and I wasn't sure why I was tripping over it. And then, um, I think you asked me the question. story was actually tripping over it too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he was. And and you asked me one of the first questions you asked me. Well, do you mean Tony to come off this way? And I was like, No, I don't mean that. And I can see exactly how I did that. And I just scrapped the whole first chapter. Was just boom gone. And um, got rid of all of that stuff. And I cha- then I changed the, the information Gibbs was given so that Gibbs could not be struggling with, you know, Tony's choices um, because it was, his choices were strange. Um, It was, it was the actions I had Tony doing would have been appropriate in a different story, not for that setup. So um, it just, I just stalled myself out and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And normally I would, normally I would actually like put that on the back burner, that kind of thing on the back burner where I stumble that early in a story is I would put it on the back burner and um, come back to it. But it was a challenge story that, you know, I needed to get written. So I was I was trying to figure out what the fuck was wrong with it. And I asked Kira to, to alpha read what was there and tell her what she thought of it. And um, we got it fixed. But, yeah, I mean, that but that was – but I don't I don't. It's always into easier to whole... see the problems in other people's work than it is your own. Oh, definitely. That's sort of like um, – growing something versus pruning something, you know? I mean, when you're, like, right up in it, growing a tree or whatever, and you're right up there with it every day, it, it's, it's really hard to see how to shape it, you know? Somebody standing across yeah. the field can look at it and go, that branch is too long, you need some more foliage over here. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to stand, you know, stand back when you're not the one who, who's 
growing this thing. So, um, but I find I found about I think it's a little bit more more than fifty percent of the people who've asked me for help with something with in there in the course of my time working with fan fiction writers and, and original fiction writers. They don't actually want help. They just want validation. Um, they want somebody to tell them that whatever path they're on is actually a good path um, or let them, you know, convince them that the crazy idea they have is a good idea. Um, and I'm just, that's not, that's not, I'm not prepared to play that particular game. You know, if somebody just wants validation, <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask for help. I hate when I'm talking to somebody and they've given me something to look at and I point out the issue that I'm seeing and the first thing they say is, oh, I know, I'm going to fix that. Yeah. Yeah, I had that with somebody one day. I pointed out, I think I pointed out like 15 things in a relatively short amount of time and every single thing they told me they knew. I'm like, well, if you know all the problems, A, why didn't you fix it before you gave it to me? Um, and B, what is it you're concerned about? You know all the problems. I just don't understand the point of passing something off with a problem and to say I need help with a problem in it that you you supposedly know is there. Just fix the problem then. And then ask Or maybe she wanted to maybe she was hoping you wouldn't recognize the problems. Or she didn't know and she was embarrassed and wanted and lied. Well, there's that possibility too. But it also boils down to validation, too, right? I mean, it's like, oh, well, you were supposed to tell me how wonderful this is and how flawless it was, and you didn't. So, of course, I know about all these problems. Duh. (laughs) Yeah. But I think sometimes I wonder how the writing by committee thing happens. And for the most part, when I see this, not always, but most part, I'm seeing – like readers, readers, readers really heavily in the process with a writer, um, and I'm not I think it trying to say that. Thing. Yeah, that could be. I think it is insecurity, or or um, sometimes people get ideas that are bigger than they know how to execute. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is important to recognize where your limits are. I get ideas that are too big for me to execute and I write really big stories. So, um, you know, I, I just, I, 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 I just structure your shit like a series and take it one episode at a time. <laughs> right. But I've seen people put out ideas that they think that they're going to execute 50,000 words. I'm like, Oh honey, no, well, no, I don't think so baby. <laughs> That's like 300. Easy. Um, especially if I know that they're wordy anyway. Because, you know, if you get familiar with people's styles over years of rough trade and they put out a summary, I'm like, oh, you aren't doing that in 50K. Um, uh, And it's not that it's a bad idea or that they shouldn't write it. It's the question of, you know, where are you? It it is not um, an easy thing to write a really long story and to, to plot that much. It's not easy. Um, so depending upon where your, um, skills are, 
with plotting and timeline management and and working out consequences and stuff, you that you may not be ready for a story that big. Um, and then either you can work on scaling down the idea to a piece that's more manageable to something you can execute and add on to later if you want, or go with a different idea. I know people are not happy when the idea is scaled down to manageable size. It loses its appeal. Um, and so maybe that's where the whole getting multiple readers involved, give me opinions on this, should it go this way, da-da-da. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes the end result is, is, is a good story. But more often than not, when I read a long list of contributing people in a story, I see something that is remarkably unfocused is what I usually get to. It's either got um, weird inconsistencies, um, um, or just things that don't make sense. It's like, why would this, why would they do that? And I think that maybe if you've got an insecure writer, that that could be a case of where somebody gave them an opinion and they feel obligated to take it, even though it didn't serve the story. Um, I was just reading a comment in the chat room. Um, Can we read that on the air? Are you comfortable with that? The last comment. Okay, she said yes. Yeah, so Dark Serafina said that the alpha beta process makes her anxious. She says, I know I need a reader. I've never posted with one, even though I should have, but the idea makes me very uncomfortable. Um, somehow posting things and being able to ignore delete comments is easier than asking someone to tell you what's wrong. There's also the anxiety of having the wrong person. I've heard stories. Every time I look at the alpha beta hookup on RT, my anxiety spikes, social anxiety, a barrel of fun. Um, I will say my first, my first reaction to that is you don't need any of those things. Um, it, growing as a writer, I think, eventually you you need to be able to take um, constructive feedback, not criticism, but somebody who really knows how to give you feedback on, on what you're doing. Uh, I think that's a, an invaluable part of growing as a writer, but in fan fiction, you don't actually need that, that you you don't need to do those things. I was Um, telling Julie earlier today, and this is not a reflection on any of my betas because I am super, um, always very happy when um, people that beta for me give me time. Um, But uh, Grammarly will catch your typos. It will catch your major grammar mistakes. And if you have it configured correctly, it'll even catch some of your fucked up dialogue tags. (laughs) So, if you're just looking for someone to typo, to look for your typos, Grammarly is going to be your best beta. <laughs> it won't be personal at all. <laughs> They're not going to tell you your hero's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Grammarly is, um, 
Grammarly doesn't catch the kind of typos that I make usually. Um, yeah. Although it does catch one one particular thing that I do a lot um, that sometimes my beta readers don't catch because it's one of those things where you're reading what you expect to see, and Grammarly doesn't have any expectations. So it's just a scene that I have um, an erroneous article, you know. Um, articles are one of those things that are pretty obli- uh, invisible. Um, so you can have an extra one in there, and pe- people just will tune them out or add them in when they're missing. Um, yeah, I have that so, problem. I'm locked in. But Grammarly, if you, if you, yeah, if you Grammarly is actually pretty good about catching articles that shouldn't be there or articles um, that that shouldn't, and so that's a typo that often is is missed in beta that that I do a lot, but. Grammarly will catch. And, you know, every bait I've worked with is good at different things. Um, um, Grammarly is really good at basic commas um, for the most part. It's, um, it's not I rely on myself. things in a for, series. What's that called? What's that called? Um, Oxford or serial Yeah, comma it's not good with the Oxford comma. Yeah. I like um, the Oxford I, pr- I prefer it just because if you always – I didn't used to, but one day I, ha- I, I did, wasn't using the Oxford comma, and not using it actually created um, – made, made the sentence unclear. But I didn't catch it when I wrote it, that the sentence was unclear because of the Oxford comma. And um, – And um, as a as a result, uh, I figured it's just easier if you always use it. You never have to worry that you're not catching something unclear. I mean, the classic example of the Oxford comma being necessary is um, um, I'd like to thank my parents, Mrs. Jones, and God. You know, um, if you don't put a comma after Mrs. Jones, then your parents are Mrs. Jones and are God, Mrs. Jones right? And God. <laughs> yeah, so that's the cla- one of the classic examples of where people are not using the Oxford comma, where the where the where the sentence is completely meaning is completely changed. But if you always use it, you never have to worry that the that that is there. But I do take an author's preference into consideration. If they don't like it, I won't stick their Oxford comma in unless it creates a point of confusion. Um, Yeah, you you do have to kind of tweak Grammarly to kind of set it up the way you want it. Um, my biggest beef with it is that I can't put like a whole file in it and do it. I have to, you know, plug it in like what is it like ten thousand words at a time or something, or is it eight thousand word limit? Yeah, Grammarly? because that's really you don't have a um, a, you don't um, you're not a PC user, so you can't download yeah, the I don't, thing. I don't, I don't have the office I'm putting plug-in. that out yeah. there because I didn't want you guys to email her and let her know about the plugin that she can't use. <laughs> right. She's and aware I, of the it plugin. It doesn't exist. <laughs> For Mac I users. do have the grammar I do have the Grammarly app, which is um which runs faster than the online version because I'm not doing it over the internet, but it has the same character limitation. So yeah, really? that's a, um Yeah, it has the exact same character limitation as online, which is just as annoying as fuck. So but it does sync to my online account, so whatever I can, whatever I've put in it locally, I can access online. 
So, um, but it's faster. So it's faster. It doesn't struggle as much. So I I use the offline version more often than not. Um, But it's, you know, Grammarly becomes for me a a last check or right before beta check rather than um, an as I'm writing thing. Also, I don't like my grammar corrected while I'm typing anyway. I turn off grammar checkers no, because they slow me down. No, I, I find it very distracting. It is that little red line coming I don't up. Want I fix it. Ooh, I don't want the little red lines or little green lines or no, I don't want any of it. Mm-mm. Yeah, just let me write. Um, so, the other thing I would say to people about the alpha beta process is that you know I wish this is one of those things where it's like for, for this is for people who I know who are really trying to kind of grow their crafts. I wish I could like, you know, work with, you know, at least once with everybody who wants to try that process, but I don't have the, the cycles for that. But, um, um, it is something that, you know, I really do recommend that you try to find somebody who you do it. That is the hardest part is somebody that you trust to work with you. Um, who's not going to be an idiot, um, or giving you, or, you know, trying to make you do what they want. Or worse, be cruel on purpose. Or, yeah, being mean, yeah. Because we've seen that in fandom. Yeah. I mean, I've had that. My One of the first betas I had, um, actually not one of the first, the first beta I had, which didn't go anywhere, she was terrible. She was, and she was, she was, scathing in her comments to me. Um, Is that the one who offered to beta something that you already had published so she knew the content before she even asked to beta? She hadn't read it yet. It was, it was, it was, it was um, emergence. And I had, and I told her I'd given her like an abstract of the story when she volunteered to beta. And then when I sent her the actual files, um, cause it was only my rough draft that was online and I sent her the actual files and she she just—I got the first one back, and she just ripped it apart on the concept. Um, she also she also she wanted you to take the dragons out, right? Yeah, yeah. But she but she was so scathing in her opinions, and she was so critical of of um my like especially she was really hard for my pacing, and I was like, but she wouldn't tell me what she couldn't give me anything more um, specific than you know I had pacing issues. I'm like. You don't have pacing issues. I know pacing okay. issues. You don't have pacing issues. I've never seen you have pacing issues. She can kiss my ass. I get I get minor pacing issues here and there where I just feel like something is dragging, and usually that tells me that I'm dumping too much data in a scene, but I fix it. Um, I mean, I've also that you would, um, I just don't see that as a problem for you. I mean, even if you do a little information dump here and there. People with a true pacing problem, you can fall asleep reading their shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually think one of the things I'm really good at is figuring out how to dump large amounts of data in ways that are not boring. But, um, you know, eventually I'm going to run out of new ways to do that. <laughs> um, I do like doing big data dumps in a court scene, though. I find that to be... Um, Particularly I love gratifying. It. It's my favorite thing. But I can only do it in the, I can only do it in the Harry, Harry Potter, Potter world, though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> if I could get a court scene in a Harry Potter story, I'm so happy. 
There's a reason why courting Armani Granger started in court. <laughs> it's so gratifying. It just feels so good. <laughs> I loved I loved the trial scenes in Slytherin Black. I think more than any. I think there's two chapters of the trial. Um, it wasn't the trial. It was really the hearing. The, the hearing, Dumbledore's hearing. It was. I I had so much fun writing those chapters. Um, I just. I know, and the first the first chapter with the trial we had more comments than anything else I had written probably ever um, was that. So I mean, other people must have liked it too because the people were like, "I really enjoyed this." So it was um, sometimes not I, only did the trial but deliver justice. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. short sometimes Harry Potter standing. Yeah, because sometimes when I um, write something that I really am into. Readers don't respond to it. Um, um, readers don't respond to it as um, the way I, the way it, they don't, they aren't getting what I, I got out of it, which is fine. Um, but it is particularly gratifying when something that was just really good for me is really good for the reader too. It's like this kind of synergy. Um because it's just funny, there have been times when I put out chapters that I was like, well, that was a filler chapter. It's stuff I had to do. It had to be done. Um, and I kind of was plotting people through it. it. And people give, people loved it. And I'm like, and I almost want to like pull them aside and go, what is it that you love? I'm just curious. Not that I want to change anything, but I'm just, I'm just curious about what this chapter that felt to me like plotting, like I was kind of plotting through stuff that had to happen. What about that was so good? <laughs> But, you know, things come out differently to the reader than they come out to me. It's not a problem. It's never a problem. Um, But there is just something really cool about um, um, – there's something very cool about when me and the reader are are reacting positively to the same thing. so in regards to Slytherin Black, it is. I'm doing a major edit. There was something. There's. There's a, was a plot choice I made that I was. Um, it wasn't a problem plot choice, but I was stressing myself out be, about the plot choice, and it was making me anxious. Um, and I decided that it was better to remove that plot element, so that I wasn't trying to sort of race the clock on that. Um, so I'm doing a major edit on that. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't, you know, it's just sometimes you put something in and you're like, it's like announcing something and you put this plot point out there and then, uh, you know, 200K later, you still haven't resolved that plot point and you start to feel, I start to feel tense and like I'm, like I'm racing to why I, I need to get this plot point dealt with, but I can't because it doesn't make sense to deal with it yet. So um, I just decided to, you know, remove that element from the story. Um, I could have reworked it, but my decision was to go ahead and just remove it. And um, so I had to do it. Do you know how hard it was for me and Sentinels of Atlantis to keep that whole, the thing is, is, you know, in the end of Sentinels of Atlantis, the awakening with the psionic energy, I did the foundation work for that in The Gathering, which is the first episode in that series. So I knew the whole way through all those episodes I was building, talking about the psionic energy here and here and, you know, the 
the ascended pair talking about it and giving away little tidbits and Taylor's thing where she realized that the Sentinels were in trouble from a different planet. Just all these different things were coming together and it was, it drove me nuts. (laughs) Writing that scene at the end of um, the search was literally the most relieving thing I've ever done. I mean, it was just like, (laughs) it was like having to pee for three hours and then finally getting to do it. (laughs) It was was like a whole year. (laughs) Because I had been building the whole time. And I was like, oh God, I I have to get it out. I almost did it at the first part of the story because I was so geared up. But that would have been stupid. So I'm just serious. Yeah, sometimes you're just and, it, and you and the plot the plot thing. It may not have been as big a deal to other people as it was to me. Other people may not have been mm-hmm. as anxious for it as I was, um, but I felt like I was. It just it was it was just this one thing. It was really stressing me, and I was like, this is impacting my ability to make choices about reasonable choices because I had you know I had set a certain I had plotted how long it would take to get Frank and Alice out of the hospital and all that kind of stuff. And I was trying to figure out how to accelerate that, even though it didn't really make sense. And I was like, why am I doing this? And I realized that was because I was chasing this plot point. And I was like, well, I just need to, I need to get that out. So I decided to remove it. It's not, um, uh, you know, people, people maybe just be disappointed with that in the end, but it doesn't really matter because I'm happier with it. Um, and that's the big so, thing. Yeah. You need to be happy with your stuff. Your happiness when it comes to your writing, whether you're writing professionally or you're writing in fan fiction or you're writing poetry on a napkin in Starbucks, whatever it is, serve yourself first. Be happy with what you're doing first. It's like the most important thing to keep in your brain. Yeah. And that really is my top criteria for, um, for you know, for where I where I went with the re-editing is to make it um, so that I was happy with it, um, and and you know partially I'm happier with it just also because it just doesn't have this. There's not actually Southern Black takes place even though it's a lot of story it takes place over a relatively compact amount of time. Um, so it's not like the, the plot point is dragging out for like a year in that timeline. It's more like that it's dragging out for a couple hundred thousand words and it was, it was just making it harder for me. So, um, it was a lot easier for me just to reconsider the direction. Um, but yeah, so that story, I, I, it's not like it's, it's not abandoned. I am editing that, um, actually actively, um, and once I get, I didn't want to keep writing until I had edited this because it was a significant thing. Um, until I've edited this plot point out and made sure I didn't have any consistency issues as a result of it. Um, so I, I, you know, I had to stop the writing so that I could um, keep going with that thing. That that so I could, I needed to finish the edit before I could pick up and resume writing. And I, I would say that actually, if you know you're going to change a major plot point, um, and you're, that, that you do stop and go back and change it before you keep writing. Oh, I agree. Because you don't. I agree. You do not want to. It gets really hard. You do not want to. 
Yeah, you don't want to just keep writing with that because you could have a ripple that you aren't expecting. Like as you're editing in a kind of a linear fashion, you're going, oh, well, if I take this out, I have to account for it here. And that's going to ripple out and that will affect what you write next. So writing the whole thing with it in your head, how that plot point turned out, is it really leaves you open to having made a mistake. The kind of make you want to put the project down and never work on it again. I've had this experience. I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. I um, opened up book three in Atlantean Legacy today. And um, obviously book three was written. Um, I wrote uh, the skeleton of book one, um, book two and book three before I ever and I started book three before I ever got near uh, a um, a beta process. And for those of you who have listened to my podcast for a long time, you'll know that No Enemy Within took about a year. Um, because I gave it to um, Lady Holder and I gave it to Chris King. And they both came back with a whole bunch of stuff. Um, because it really was just the bones. It, it, it wasn't a full story. And I just had this idea and I had to get it out of my head. You know, I just had to get all of it out. And... So I wrote all that in like two months. And um, so I stopped working on book two um, or book three, and I dug into book one, and, um, um, and I wrote two drafts, and then they got the third draft to read and, and was like, um, it, it came back fine from Lady Holder, and there were, there were some comments. but And then Chris was like, where's the sex? <laughs> there needs to be sex. And she pointed out spots. You can put a blowjob here. <laughs> she was all about inserting sex into the story. So all the sex in the movie within is, is Chris King. Straight up. Every sex scene <laughs> in that book is because she inserted it. Like, you need sex here, and you definitely need sex here. Uh, I think I, I didn't do all the blowjobs that she recommended because it would just have been one big blowjob thick if I had. But, you know, all the sex in there is, is, is her responsibility. That's, that's on Chris. Um but I made so many changes in book one that I stymied over book two. Um, and there was a moment when I did a big time skip between book one and book two. And I let them distract me with um, their desires to know what happened during that time skip. Um, and uh, which is, you know, it, it, that that's the risk you take when you have um, uh two very creative um, and very talented betas like Chris and Lady Holder is that sometimes they can, you know, not on purpose, get you off track. Uh, and, um, but I, so when I finally finished, when I finally sat down, I said, okay, no, this is my book too. I'm, I'm not going to write a different book too. I had to do a whole lot of work because I had made so many changes in book one um, that I had to rectify in book two. Um, so I opened up book three today <laughs> And I was like, it is, my book three is, I don't know, it's 20, it's, I don't want to lie, let me, let me get over here and look it up. Um, dum da dum da dum Okay, the file is called Idea 3. To give you reference, on the inside, it says title, Untitled Mess by Kira Marcos. <laughs> and, it is 11K of unusable, is, is what it is. It is 11K of absolutely unusable. Because I made so many changes in book one and two 
that book three might as well be a different series. And I'm like, well, shit. Because, you know, I had done that thing where I went through all my work in progress and I made a big list and did the word counts because I was bored. And I wanted to prove Lady Holder wrong, but it, it, she, she was right. <laughs> <laughs> She was more right than I was. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> um, and so I went back today and I opened up to, to actually read it. And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> this is just completely unusable. And I was like really mad. <laughs> so I closed it. I mean, yes. I mean, now you just have to start I have over. I would have to edit about 15K into that 11K to make it workable. And probably take out half of it because it doesn't even make any fucking sense based on the changes I made in books one and two. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> you double burden my past self. This is really annoying. So because I hadn't, because I'd done all three of those books together um, and I hadn't had in, um, anybody in the beta process. Um, and I really, really should have stopped when I did book one and went to them. And said, okay, I need you to read this and tell me what you think and tell me where I need to go. Um, Because I had this idea, and it it wasn't quite solid. And I had done some plotting. um, But the first, the the very first draft of um, No Enemy Within was basically um, a really long synopsis. It was a really long synopsis. Um, so, um, so I really should have had input then before I hit book two and tried to hit, hit book three. Um, and so it was, um, in retrospect, I would have been better served if I'd stopped at book one and had a conversation um, and let them read what I had Um and, and and get feedback at that point. So, but you don't always know. Um, you get, like I said, you get kind of, you get a narrow focus when you have an idea like that. And Lanty Legacy is a huge idea. And um, it's um, quite huge, especially for its word count. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, Which there's a lot of world on. packed like, in. Yeah. It was like that. How is it so short? It feels so long. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of world packed in there. I'm really proud of how tight No Enemy Within is. It's very tight. Yeah, I would be too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to. I I had another thought. Something I I kind of had. I I've been a little drifty today, but um, in in about the alpha uh, alpha alpha beta thing that Dart mentioned is one of the things that I would advise somebody who's anxious about the process is um, be prepared to back out of it if you need to. And part of being prepared, especially if you have anxiety about it, is to know exactly what your exit strategy is. Plan it in advance. If Because it, it, the last thing you want when you're working on it, if, if you get back your alpha, getting back any edit can sometimes feel overwhelming. Um, I have I have sent edits back to people that looked like the page had been bled on. I mean, we're talking like a change every five or six words. Um, I try not to actually do those kinds of things anymore because that's a really overwhelming kind of edit. That's somebody that needs to go back to the fundamentals, you know. But um, 
it can feel, even if somebody is just giving you one or two edits per page, it can still feel kind of like you seize up inside. Um, but if it feels like somebody has, it's one thing to feel like you're just kind of anxious about your word baby has gotten dirty versus um, like somebody else has seen your word baby kind of thing versus somebody's trampling all over you. And when it feels like you've been really intruded upon, um, it, you may not be a good fit together to work together. And, and that's okay. So it's like tell yourself that in advance. It's okay if this doesn't work out. And if you aren't working with a beta who can accept that it may not work out, then you guys aren't a good fit from the, from the jump. Um, or an alpha. Um, alpha read actually can be much harder to deal with in a beta read because somebody sending you back 500 comma insertions is not as difficult to deal with as somebody telling you that your character characterization, and they may, they may not put it that way, but basically calling your characterization into question. Um, but if, if it's more, if it's too much for you, know in advance how you're going to extricate yourself in the situation. Um, this is something I've worked with people on before, who, especially if they're anxious about the whole thing, is if you plan in advance what your go-to is going to be. That way when you get freaked out, you don't have to try to figure out how to respond because you've already planned how you're going to respond. You've got also, it already in your pocket. Don't, don't start with the big project. No. If you have That's a new baby small. relationship, do a, do a short story like from, like from Little Black Dress. Yeah, don't you yeah, don't want to you don't want to you don't want to to put yourself into um into a first time especially if it's your first time with alpha or beta. Um you don't want to put yourself into um with it with an with an enormous project, especially if you're emotionally attached to it. If you're still kind of cuddling it, um you may not be ready for somebody to start poking their fingers into it. Um, and sometimes even if we like our short stories or love our short stories, we don't spend as much time in them, so the emotional investment often isn't as big. Unless you're a freak like me, so <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a whole new breed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love some of my short stories, but... Um, you know, there's a couple of stories. There's anything, I typically anything above about 50K is when I started spending enough time with it that, um, that I'm, I'm just not rational about it. What do you mean you hate my it. character? <laughs> Fuck you. He wants to better with you. My character is perfect. He's a unicorn. Some betas don't do well with a chapter, especially Alpha. Alpha read can't really be done a chapter at a time. You're, if an Alpha is going to no. give you constructive constructive feedback they need to read the whole thing or what you've got you know they can't just read one chapter also if you're working with a beta i mean it's like negotiating a scene in a way right when you're working with a beta you need to be clear about what it is you want and what you don't want so and if they can't agree to that then they're not a good fit for you so if you are not looking for anything but grammar, punctuation, and typos from a beta, um, 
and they can't agree to that. You've had that experience, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Now, I if I've done betas for people where I've agreed to just do gram to just do, um, but one person I had to back out because of the the I ran into so many inconsistencies in the plot so quickly. I I, I mean it it triggered my OCD in such a way because I, I was like I can't just put commas in for this person I will lose my mind. I, how do I not say, you know, this person's dead. <laughs> You killed them two chapters, you know that kind of thing. I, I would feel like I had to say it. Um, I would. I would have said it. I'd be like, oh, here's your grammar, and um, did you know you killed so and so like six times? I'm just letting you know. <laughs> but it's you just. Um, I told them. I said, there's just so many inconsistencies that um, I I don't know if this is actually ready for beta, and I I. I can't just give you a grammar beta. I can't just ignore the inconsistencies. And they said, oh, well, you can tie up the inconsistencies. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't. <laughs> no, I can't. Um, we, we, you were really clear that you didn't want to know about any plot problems you have. And if somebody sets that down as a, um, as a hard limit up front and then they try to back off from it, that, that's worrying to me. Because it's like they, they, they know that they don't want that kind of feedback, and then you're like, whoa. No, I, I, well, I'm not a good fit for you right now. Um, and then they're like, okay, well, you can give me that feedback. It's like, eh, something, you, you need to get a little clearer about yourself. I think working with a beta or an alpha reader is really critical that you know who you are as a writer and that you are able to, you know, police your boundaries. Um but some people, some people, it's a much more casual thing, you know. Um, some people have betas who do nothing really but look for typos. If that, <laughs> actually, we've all had that experience. We've read something and said, "I just got this back from my beta," and you're reading it, scratching your head, and going, "Really? <laughs> really? Through a beta reader? You mean your huh. cheerleader? Okay. Yeah." Um, I don't think it would hurt to try beta-ing to see what the process is like. Um, um, what you could do if you want to try it, because um, Dark said that she wants to think about trying beta-ing to see if, but she worries about being the reason somebody else has a bad experience. Um, I, I would beta for, beta for somebody who who who's pretty confident. Um, you can beta some of my shit. <laughs> I'll send you something. <laughs> no, actually, I am working on Revenant, and um, she's going to do me an alpha read. Uh, and um, if you wanted to like um, beta the first episode of Revenant, um, uh, just to see how I just to, just to see, um, I'm a pretty clean writer, so I and um, I wouldn't cry if you pointed out something stupid that I did. So you won't be giving me any anxiety or bad experiences. <laughs> 
Yeah, and if you want, unless and if you, you want out, feed- the idea of beta for me, so yeah, if you if you um, if you um, want to uh, if you want feedback on how what what you were like as a beta, Kira will give you that too. Yeah, of course I will. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm serious. Um, I won't, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can send me an email. I'll send you, um, you might want to send me an email. I'm not sure if I have your email. I probably do have your email because you've been on RT. Um, but uh, those episodes are like 5K a piece. Um, and it wouldn't be, um, like I said, I'm not, Julie's made it for me. I'm not an asshole. No. Now, I, I am mean, an asshole, I, but I'm not an asshole during the beta process. <laughs> I mean, one of the key things about being about dating for somebody is, for the most part, you have to go in expecting that they may not agree with you when you give an opinion, and you have to be okay with them not agreeing with you. Now, I do have some things that I'm inflexible about as a beta. Like, you know, I didn't think I had to say that if you spell a word wrong and I tell you you spelled it wrong and you insist on saying with your bad spelling that we're going to have an issue because I just don't want my name associated with something. There are words that don't exist in nature in there. Um, and believe it or not, that, that, did, that, has come, that, that has come up, you know, where somebody's misspelling a word consistently, and I say, this is not how you spell this word, and they go, that's the way I've always seen it. Well, so what? Here's Merriam-Webster. It doesn't make it accurate. Your uh, bad so craft is for- style choice. <laughs> right. So me saying, you know, I think this would read smoother this way, and them going, I like it better the other way. I I can't give I would I don't have two fucks to give if they agree with me on that point or not. Um, I actually told an author once and and it it I don't need I don't need return replies from authors but some authors do reply back to your comments which actually I'm always a little bit flummoxed by that but um, um, I I said that it would read smoother if she did it um, this way wrote, wrote something in a different way and she wrote back and she said well I actually didn't want it smooth. I wanted it to be kind of choppy and, and staccato. And I said, and, and then and because she had given me, re- responded back, I said, oh, well, it's not really coming out the way I think you think it's coming out. If you want it to be choppy, then I would recommend this. And she went with the, the choppier version, the, the one, the, 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 you know, the way that I had tweaked it the second time. But if she had just stuck with her original, I wouldn't have cared because, you know, when it comes to phrasing and stuff, that's all up to the author. Um, I can give a best recommendation based upon what I'm seeing, but I just don't have two fucks but to give. But it was cool that she took your advice on the second one. I appreciate that, that she actually, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Actually, I don't expect an author to come back and reply to my comments, but she did in this in in a couple of cases. And she said, in, she, in this case, she said, well, actually, I wanted it to read. The, what, the what you're saying is wrong is how I wanted it to read. I said, oh, well, if, if that's what you're going for, you need to emphasize that that trait more so that it comes across more like because it, it comes across deliberate as opposed to choppy writing. Um, right. And so, but you know, I mean, but when it comes to giving those kind of opinions, I mean, I wasn't, if she hadn't, if she hadn't taken my advice, I wouldn't have cared. It, it, that kind of thing is, I, I, but so if, 
if you as a beta are attached to your opinion about things that are not like, you know, hard and fast kind of rules kind of thing, you, yeah, you shouldn't be really betaing because it isn't your story. You know, it's theirs. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to, dis, you have to distance yourself from your own opinion. Um, I don't even expect authors to take all of my advice. I give it based upon my experience, but I don't expect them to necessarily take it. And I don't care. And it doesn't bother me one way or the other, whether they do or not. Unless, unless, like I said, it's a plot hole and they just decide, well, I like it better with a plot hole. And that drives me crazy. Cause that's like embracing bad craft. But just when it comes to a phrasing on a sentence or whether or not to use embracing, passive or active that's not voice, marrying bad craft. Yeah. Giving it a baby. I like the, I like the plot hole better. Well, you do you. Okay. Crazy asshole. Don't send me any more stuff. It's rare that I'll pass a beta back to a beta reader. Um, I think that really only happened um, with me, Kristen, Lady Holder, with Lanty and Legacy, because it went back and forth several times because um, there were so many changes. And, and um, it was, I mean, it was, you would think a project that small, relatively speaking, <laughs> wouldn't take a year. <laughs> so that one we passed back and forth a lot, and there were a lot of comments from me and a lot of comments from them. But for the most part, when I get a beta back, it's um, I fix the problems that I agree with, I ignore what I don't, and I move on. Yeah. It isn't a back and forth progress process for me. No, I agree. Now, I have baited for people where they've made a change. Like I'll say, so this isn't clear, and they make a change, and they ask me, is this clear? Um, and th- sometimes that happens, but that's more the exception than the rule. Um, I've, well, I've got, you know, I actually I treat a beta like an editor. Yeah. Now I have I have when I get com- more comfortable with somebody, if if I'm if I'm have never baited for somebody before, um, um, if I've never baited for somebody before, I'm a lot more gentle until I, I'm, I try not to be harsh no matter what, but I'm careful about what I say and how I say it until I learn where they're at and what our communication is like and what they want to work on. But, you know, there's somebody I got familiar with, you know, and and we've had a lot of discussions about craft and I know what she wants to work on. um, And I know like that pacing is an issue that she wants to pay attention to. And so like at one point I was beta-ing something and I just said, this whole scene needs to go. I mean, this this is like a whole, like almost a whole chapter this doesn't serve your plot and here are the reasons why, and it's destroying your pace. And this is why. Um, and I said, you don't, you don't have to, they don't have to take my advice, but they actually, they actually, in that case, they actually did take the whole scene out. Um, now when I actually edit, when I'm actually editing original fiction, I do, I do that to a much more um, rigorous degree uh, because that's my job, right? Is to go, this is ruining your pace. This doesn't serve your plot. This is, you know, whatever. Um, but a lot of fan fiction writers aren't ready for that kind of thing. And, there are, and also, um, there's a certain level of vanity in fan fiction writing that I indulge in um, yeah. that I'm perfectly aware of. <laughs> 
and that may be an author may come back. Well, I really like this scene, um, even though it doesn't serve serve the story. It's like, and I would just go, okay. Now, um, I might have a bigger argument with that with an original fiction writer, but it depends upon what the level of their objection is, you know. So, um, but dark, we'll we'll we'll, we'll we can we'll bookend you on this. So you're going to beta something of Kira's um, when you're ready to try baiting, if you want me to alpha or beta for you and you pick a project, you just let me know. And now you have won the lottery. (laughs) But um, I, I, you know... The thing is, is I'm a wordy bitch. You might have noticed. So there's a lot of vanity in in my fan fiction, um, and a lot of indulgent things because it's my hobby and it amuses me. Um, and I like helpful goblins and shopping trips. And um, I especially love my shopping trip in the Pocket Dragon, which is on EAD, because um, you didn't see much of it, but he did it all by catalog, and so shit just you know kind of appears. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then him and Isidore fought about it afterwards. Like, I don't know why I had to get this really expensive bag when you're not actually going to get in it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that universe. I love it so much. It amuses the shit out of me in the. I have a chapter coming up, but I'm about to start writing. Sorry. I put a mouthful of popcorn in my mouth and then started talking. Hold on. Yeah. So, Hermione's shopping in Small Magics was, was was epic. It was epic. It's so great because at any moment she could just pop something out of her bracelet. Oh, yeah, here you go. <laughs> and and that that is one of the things we've talked about before about giving detail where you don't need to hurt you. And if Kira had listed everything Hermione had bought, she would hamstring herself later for Hermione having yet again what they needed. <laughs> now, granted, she didn't <laughs> originally pack down it. on the amusement factor. Yes, and granted, she didn't originally pack a bridge, but now she's got one. She sure does. Now, it's going to be great. I'm a little bit There's actually a scene coming up in Small Magic where they're deep in the mountain and this ancient bridge that they had fell because the dragon. And someone's going to be like, hey, Hermione, can I have that bridge? <laughs> it's going to be great. Have it. But in Pocket Dragon, I have, a, I have a chapter coming up where Isidore goes to visit Sirius Black. Um, and... Because um, she's tired of being jerked around. She um, she wants to know what the fuck is going on. Um, and she finds out that he has um, been in Azkaban for all these years with no trial. And she loses her shit. And I'm on the fence about whether or not Azkaban is going to survive it. I vote no. <laughs> I I have wanted um I have wanted to destroy Azkaban. Um it just ugh. 
Azkaban will be destroyed in the Leomoto. So that is that is the story of when I finally realized my dream of I'm gonna tear Azkaban down. I hate that fucking prison. Um so yeah, I vote for I vote for tear it down. Let let her destroy it. Get him out of there. I was thinking it might be an uncontrollable burst of magic from her because she's so furious and it kills all the Dementors and everyone in the prison that's actually guilty. And the only thing, the only people who are left are some of the guards who were good and the prisoners who were there illegally. I like it. So, but either way, Azkaban is never going to be the same after Isidore's visit. Which story was it that was the dragon blood all over Azkaban? Was that was that Soulmate Bond? No, that's an unspeakable plot. What had happened was, oh, okay. is that that, I, um, that, McGregor, that cracked me up. McGregor told Zale to cause a distraction. So, Zale stole some dragon blood from the bank a lot a lot of dragon blood and painted Azkaban with it which got everybody's attention which was the point ended up with they all naked in the kitchen which was also the point <laughs> or mostly naked <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was I, I just love that whole plot point because it did something to the wards at Azkaban and and McGregor yeah. was serious about the whole thing. My favorite part is when McGregor throws the report at Zale and says, congratulations, you created a fucking mystery. Because <laughs> <laughs> he ended up actually making Azkaban completely impenetrable. <laughs> Oops. I think that's probably when I got a crush on Zale was in that scene. It amused me. Now I have to say, I, this is just a random thing. I don't do well with um, extraneous sex. So when people suggest I insert sex in the story, I kind of just like, what, where, there's no place that that fits. Um, and it was just, and the reason this popped into my head was because, um, I've mentioned before, I had a story that was short, like 500 words on, um, the minimum for the challenge requirement. And I was like, and the story to me was exactly the way I wanted it. And so I was furious that I was 500 words short. It just never happened to me before. I've never come in under word count on anything. (laughs) Totally having a total temper tantrum. Lady Holder says, put a blowjob in. I was like, a blowjob? That's your answer, a blowjob? And guess what I did? I put in a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> but I had, it took me, it took me a long time to figure out where to put that blowjob because I was like, it has to serve the plot. It has to actually feel like it belongs there. And so I had to kind of write an extra scene and I think, I went actually five or 600 words over the minimum, maybe on that, maybe 300 words over the minimum because um, I didn't just write a blowjob. I, I did something else with it. Um, 
But yeah, sex, sex for the sake of sex, it used to work for me in stories, but it doesn't anymore. It, it doesn't. I, I totally turn into a plot monster. I, I, I just will skin the sex if it doesn't do something for the story. It's, it's become a terrible habit. I don't want to say. For me, um, there is, there is not always a legacy. Place the, for a blow the sex job. that I did add was more about characterization. And like I said, I didn't input all the blowjobs that she recommended because otherwise it would have probably been close to 75K and 25K of it would have been blowjobs. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Here's but a blowjob, there's a blowjob. I'm not someone who um, normally adds sex for the sake of adding sex. So um it was, it was, I had to make sure that they fit, the sex scenes in Lantian Legacy fit, and I think they did. Um, even in Ties That Bind, which is absolutely filthy, I don't think there's a single sex scene in it that I would consider extraneous. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm always, I, I'm more likely to put in, um, you know, a snogging in the corner or, you know, making out than full on sex scene. Um, but it wouldn't, it, it would still need to have a purpose. Um, I wouldn't just zoom in on, you know, sex because there's, there's a difference between erotic, whatever, erotic sci-fi, erotic, um, romance, erotic spy novel. So this is between erotic, whatever, and erotica. Um, erotica, sex drives the plot, um, sex drives the story, and the other, the story drives the sex. And there's nothing, I'm not saying anything wrong with erotic. I was a diehard erotica reader for a long time. But I'm more interested now where I am as a reader and a writer in the story driving the sex than the sex driving the story. So it's just a shift in what was in the driver's seat for me, both as a reader and a writer. So, um, I'm all about erotic whatever. I just don't want to just read sex for the sake of sex anymore. I guess I got sexed out. <laughs> what? Fan, fandom finally provided so much sex that I went, okay, I think I had enough. <laughs> Menopause. Well, trolling assholes is I a have... plot point. You know. See. This is where spite comes into play, and I'm 95% spite. Or is that caffeine? I'm not talking about caffeine and 5% percent. spite. Yeah. <laughs> it's like seasoning. But, you spite, know. but, yeah, the reason that the anal sex happened in um, What Lovers Do is because I was told by a Harry Hermione fan not to write anal sex for them. I'm like, fuck. There's going to be anal sex in every story that I can. <laughs> don't even. That's right. But there, I don't think there's a single sex scene in What Lovers Do that's not plot. That's not on plot. The actual content of the sex scene is up for debate. <laughs> yeah. We're going to make it as disagreeable to those people as possible. Don't tell me I can't have anal sex. I'm having all the anal sex. Well, she, yeah, because she also, at one point you had said you were also going to um, um, insert 
a significant plot, a plot point or something, some significant detail of the story in those sex scenes so that those people who are so anal sex <laughs> No, that was, that was people who objected to, to gay, to gay sex. So you're going to put um, yeah. gay sex scenes in the story and make sure there's a plot point in it that was important so that the het, the yeah. HP het people um, would be missing out on stuff. It just annoys me. Be mad. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I have issues. I have lots of issues. Because here's the thing about Unseeable Plot, even though I don't want to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Okay, so um, when I first wrote it, I felt like something was missing. Uh, the whole time I was writing it, there, there was something about it that I, I was missing a balance, and then when I rewrote it as a as a triad, I found that balance with the characterization, but the relationship is is wonky, um, and I don't know uh, what to do about it. And so I'm I'm really, um, in all honesty, from a from a plot point of view, I prefer the triad, but the characterization isn't there. So I'm 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 looking at the structure of unspeakable plot. And, and and wondering where my issues are um, and how to fix that. And I think the way that I will end up fixing Unspeakable Plot is to turn it into um, um, episodes. Because I think if I restructure it, it will change. Um, it will help me restore the balance in the, in the, in the triad relationship that I want to create. So, um, anyways, I think that's that. true. Yeah, there's a lot of things. There are a lot of things going on that are not related to the relationship that have to happen, um, and there are lots of things that, uh, because of the structure and because of the secret of the time travel, that Draco's uh, relationship with Harry and Hermione can't be in the front. It, it, it has to be kind of shielded until they don't have a choice. And I put that in there so that just to resolve that whole keeping it a secret issue to begin with. But up until that point where they're Harry and Hermione are attacked by the Dementors and it's revealed that they have sympathetic magic, and this is going to happen with Draco too, that they realize that they're not going to be able to hide the fact that they're all three soulmates. And so... Um, which fucks up McGregor's plans. So keeping Draco a secret is, is no longer even possible. But until then, keeping his, him a secret in the trunk and keeping him a secret in the house was important. And now you know, it's, it's just, there's lots of logistics that put a damper on the development of their relationship as a triad uh, that were important to the plot. And, characterization was sacrificed for the plot. So I have issues. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. So. Well, it makes sense to me, but I, I, I was, I did the, I did an alpha read on that, on the rewrite of that story. Yeah. So I, I definitely know what you're talking about. I don't know if anybody else does. So. <laughs> but I think I just, you know, I think that the, the episode, the episode thing could really, um, really definitely could really solve the problem. Actually, as soon as you said it, I went, oh, yeah, because um, 
if each if each episode is like its own story, then um, it's not what continues the, the loop of yeah. It, it's the things. It, it's not such a. It's not so much like a like like Draco big disappears from big chunks of the story. Because it's, right. know, it's not just one big story. So he's in, you know, he'd be more in some episodes and, and less in others. So, yeah, I think that would really... And then there would be episodes entirely where there were no triad at all. Yeah. So, but yeah, I do think it would be better served with um, with the episode format. So. Sometimes you just have to rework something. There are a lot of characters in Unspeakable Plot, and uh, there's lots of plot points and lots of points of convergence with, you know, changing canon. So you've got, ti- you've got time travel, and you've got all these extra characters. You've got a lot of things going on. You've got a, a lot of adults in the know about what happened um, and what's going to happen and what should happen in the Horcrux hunt. And you've got McGregor, who's who's very polarizing, um, and he uh the the story really kind of ebbs and flows around him and his interaction with all these different characters changes the course of their lives and so reflecting that became difficult when i was doing the rewrite a lot of times you don't see the problems and that you create when you're fixing one problem until you're on the outside of it. Yeah. Well, you eventually, as I recall, this was a while ago, you kind of started stalling out in the rewrite. And I think that's why you right. didn't alpha read at that point. Um, but ultimately, you know, one of the things that was an issue was that your plot is so tight and the further it goes, and the, yeah, story, the tighter it gets. Yeah. Not, it's hard to make it's changes It's hard to insert plot. a character. It's, it's really hard to insert a new character in circumstances. Um, and it did create the balance that I was missing. I was missing balance in Hogwarts scenes that are coming up that you guys have not seen. Um, and it was just so I, I needed I needed balance. And I found that balance in Darkly Loyal. And that's when I realized that that was when I realized the problem I had with Unspeakable Plot that I was missing was Draco. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, that, that. But then my, my plot with Unspeakable Plot is actually really restrictive. So I'm going to have to kind of go back to the drawing board. But it's okay, though. As I said, I only have to make myself happy. <laughs> That's right. Now, when I was writing a sequel plot, you were writing Emergence, right? Mm-hmm. And when I did Darkly yeah. Lowell, you were doing Sliver in Black. Yeah. Darkly Lowell is actually almost finished. I just have to kill, like, three more people. <laughs> Voldemort being one of them. Yeah, um, the funny thing, now, there's an interesting thing that happened in that challenge, because that was our single point of view challenge. Um, 
The single point of view Ooh, really that worked for me. Did that did shit again. Not worked for Kira. She did not like it. Um, it actually worked for me so well that I started steering more towards single point of view. Um, yeah, I noticed. There's some stories. There's some stories where it's not really. It doesn't work as well. But um, a Leo motive single point of view. Um, and um, the, 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 I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be coming to the end of the, the first book soon. And actually, Point of View is one of the reasons why I'm breaking it into um, short novels. It won't be a novella because it's already too long for a novella. Um, but it'll be like short novels, um, multiple short novels, is because of the Point of View issue. For me, it's weird to go 60K into a story or 70K into a story and then introduce a new Point of View. Um, if you've, if not, not a, as long as you've been doing multiple points of view all the time, all along, and you bring a new character and you give them a point of view, that's not a problem. If you've done one point of view for 60 or 70 K and then all of a sudden you're in somebody else's point of view, that's jarring. Very jarring. So because eventually, you know, when, when Tom is older, um, I'm going to, it starts to become, I mean, I need some of his point of view. Um, there's going to come a point where I have to, you know. And I recognize that another point of view serves the story, so I plotted it to, you know, end at a certain point rather than writing, you know, like a 250K epic. You know, it's going to be more like three novels. And, it's, and actually, point of view is driving that decision about the three novels. Not that it's, you know, granted, no, you would never normally write a 250K epic, but I feel like I can do something like that in fandom. Um, mm-hmm. But my decision to, to put it in the novels was was strictly based around point of view, because um, I just can't I can't go seventy k into something and then suddenly give a new point of view. It would be jarring as a reader. Like what? What happened to Severus? <laughs> <laughs> Where did he go? I found one point of view really restrictive, which is fascinating because I love to write in first person. I don't often do it anymore, but I always loved it. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Why is this a problem for me? It might have been easier if I had been writing it in first person. I don't know. Maybe. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I got through it. I didn't give in, although I did abuse magic quite a bit. But I think that's the whole point of Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, sometimes it's it's unusual for me to, after a challenge, um, change the story to be what didn't reflect the challenge, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, if I was going to be happier with the story changing something, I would. So, um, you know, if I was writing an urban fantasy, you know, or whatever, and I just wasn't happy with it and I wanted to swing towards paranormal romance, I probably would do it over putting just a straight urban fantasy out, but I don't know for sure. Um, Depends That's what I did with um, Subtle Body. Uh, I I found that Urban Fantasy really doesn't work for me. Um, but um, 
that's what I plotted, and I didn't want to plot. I, I didn't want to replot. I shortened the hunt for um, low fat and uh, put in my ending, and I think it worked out okay. I just I'm I'm a romance writer, and um, that's just the way it is. <laughs> Yeah, but if, if if I if I was happier, if I, it depends on my attachment to this to, to what I to what it is. If I just am not happy with the story the way it is, and I really want to retell it as a romance, I retell it as a romance. But if I was happy with the urban <laughs> fantasy, but I think I might have might have just enjoyed it better as a romance, then I would just put out the urban fantasy yeah. and stay close to the challenge. Um, but like that single point of view thing, um, I don't didn't have any reason to revisit the idea of the single point of view because it really worked for me in, in Southern Black. Um, but if it hadn't worked for me, I would rather just go, okay, well, I tried the challenge. I didn't do well at it. I'm going to go back and put another point of view. It's more important to be happy with the story and go, okay, well, as an experiment, I, I did my best with that challenge. I did my best with that skill or whatever I was trying to learn. It didn't work go well this time. I'm going to, I'm going to move on um, and just put it back the way it was. Um, it's sort of like, you know, when you have a word count challenge and you go over word count, it's like, well, I could keep it short and have it be Oh, uh, I would have to do a whole lot of replotting to insert other points of view, and I have considered it, and I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, you know, because I'm really, I'm really happy with my plot for, um, wait, Dr. Lowell. <laughs> I'm really happy with the plot, and I'm actually really happy with the product. It is the process. That I found super annoying, and I found it very limiting. Um, but I'm so far into it, I literally have like two chapters left, and so there's no point in go- and replotting and and trying to satisfy that frustration that's a couple years old now. Yeah, some things you just let go, but other things, you know, if something was really sticking in my craw. I mean, even if it was, I think there was one story that I had made it within the word count of the challenge. Um, I just wasn't happy with it, um, and I wound up going over word count in the edit. I mean, it's editing bloat is not unusual for me, but it's usually minor. This was like a 5,000-word editing bloat because I just wasn't happy with the way the original story came out. Um, it just felt really choppy and rushed. That's because I had too much plot for that. So that was a learning experience, but and that was a case of where I really wanted the story to come out the way I wanted it to come out. Um, but I never go into the challenge with the intention of of not meeting the challenge. You know, like I've read, I've seen people say, okay, well now the challenge, like literally the last day of our trail, okay, now I can go write all those scenes that I left out in order to satisfy the word count. And I just kind of head tilted that, like, what? <laughs> That's actually not the challenge, but okay, you do you. Um, it was one of the shorts. I think I went from 15k to 20k. I think in the in the edit. So that was a that was a big word bloat for the overall count, but it just the original just came out really choppy to me. So I. Um, Um, I don't know. You know, I try to uh, to honor the spirit of the challenge. I don't always succeed. 
but that's the point. You you learn just as much from your successes as you do your failures, and so I don't consider any of it a waste of my time. Yeah. I mean, I fail maximum word count on a regular basis, but um, I've also you sure succeeded do. as many times. <laughs> but I've also succeeded as many times as I've flopped it. So, you know, I keep trying. Me and not me and Harry Potter. Damn, damn. Yeah. Yeah. But you just keep trying, right? But I would never like leave stuff out on purpose to try to meet the word and then do it later, knowing it I was going to put it back in. Yeah, that's just it's very cheaty. Yeah, just just write what just write what you're gonna write, and if you wind up sometimes I I in the, it's not uncommon in editing for me whether it's a challenge story or not to go okay I need a scene to smooth this out, and sometimes just putting a scene in can tack in 500 words, and the scene might really be a buffer that you need in a, in in a story. So editing can and that's not on in. purpose though. No, it's do it not. I'm not leaving that out on purpose. Disingenuous. Yes. Am I saying that word right? Disingenuous. Yes, you are. Oh, yay! I never hear anybody That's use the word ingenuous. <laughs> I know, me neither. Or gruntled. <laughs> actually, you know that gruntled means satisfied. Gruntled is actually a word. I'm so gruntled. I've. And I, I, I never hear anybody say gruntled. Never hear it. No. But now I'm Oh, the first time I heard um, somebody say chagrined, I was like, what? <laughs> what? Can you spell that for me? Because, <laughs> oh, that's how you say that word. That's not how I was saying that word in my head. Chagrined. Charging? I think I was saying charging in my head. Yeah, the two, chagrin, the, chagrin is correct. Um, okay. My my the word I was pronouncing wrong for years. I I don't know why this word was so used so often in books. So I'd only ever um, seen it in books. I'd never heard anybody use the word it was impetus. Um, so in my head, it was impetus. You know. And so the first time I heard the word used, I was like, what? Um, okay. I mean, I was a teenager, but I was still kind of befuddled about the, where that was. And also, chemise, I, I, for years, had no clue how that word was pronounced. It was chemist. Because I'm sorry, that's the way it's spelled. <laughs> yeah, I fucked up. Compromise a lot too when I was little. Yeah, melancholy. You can guess what I said. Never heard it. Compromise. Yeah. Compromise. Yeah, compromise. Yeah. There's another word that. um, Oh, conscience. First time I there was a kid in school who the. Said that yeah, it's something she said something didn't didn't line up with her conscience, and I was like, I actually was befuddled for a few seconds. I was like, what? And then I realized what she was saying, and I was like, oh okay, okay, your conscience. Although, 
I saw an utterly. I, you ever do you ever see a, you ever see a typo in a story and you actually can't figure out what they're saying until you read it out loud and when you sound it out you realize that they're trying to um say <laughs> but when you see it yes. you're just like I can't I can't interpret that so the word when I re- sounded it out it was the word onslaught um, and what the person typed was what I just put in chat and I. <laughs> and I looked at it and I looked at it and I couldn't I couldn't figure out what they were trying to say and I read the sentence out loud and I realized that you know it was you know O N space S L O T was intended to be onslaught because I'm reading um I okay the onslaught of sensation I went oh oh okay <laughs> but it was just I was so befuddled by that that I just I couldn't figure out what it was trying to be because um, it didn't actually make sense as I was reading it. Um, no, it wouldn't. It would be. Hmm. And then I read the sentence out loud, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay." That f word that you just said, desert. Um, I. Still have a problem with that because I've heard foyer, but I've also heard foyer. They're both correct. It uh, kind of is kind of regional a little bit. It's one of those words where they can kind of judge where you're where you're by by whether by how you pronounce it. I've always pronounced it foyer, but I, as, as far as I know, foyer is not wrong. It's sort of like vase and vase, you know. Some words just have more than one pronunciation. Tomato, tomato. Well, there was um, – Edie asked about what Onslaught had nothing to do with Dick. Actually, Dick was involved, um, which is why I was especially befuddled because there was a blowjob happening. Um, and I was trying to figure out <laughs> what the fuck that this meant. <laughs> and then I just wound up laughing. I so. – Recently, come across a thing on Tumblr. Um, seconded, seconded. Uh, apparently, seconded. there's two ways to say there's, and there's two ways to say that in Britain. Really, the first one that you just said, where you're like, "Yes, I'm in agreement," and then there's one where the C is um, prominent, where you're being. Seconded or seconded to a second location. Oh, right, like a secondary assignment. Right, and apparently in Britain there are two ways to pronounce this. I'm like, really? I didn't know. Now I know. I still can't say either one of them, but it's okay. Well, seconded is like with the with the UN sound um, is somebody says you know like you said like, like agreement would be like I've never I've never said seconded but seconded um, which would be the emphasis on the first syllable is like um, I think we should do this and the person goes seconded you know it's like I agree I give you my right I, I add I add a second vote. 
Seconded. I can say seconded, but that wouldn't be accurate in my everyday speech. <laughs> no, it would not. It's the D. It's the two Ds. I have a problem. I just have a problem. Seconded. I just, it, it isn't going to come out right. And let's not talk about the A word. Because I... No. For me, the A word should sound like R... Aura. I'm just going to start calling them Aura. all Auroras. They're all going to be Auroras. Aurora. Aurora. Pretty little how, Aurora Borealises. How, <laughs> how is it not? I just. It, it, it. No, we are not getting yeah, the we've or, had or thing. We, we've had that conversation before. Magical cop. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> it's just. It's just. It's like. It's. It stalls out in your mouth. I don't like words that feel like that they're kind of like, you know, like my tongue can't twist themselves into that. I've been saying Voldemort wrong. We all have for like two decades. So, okay. Well, I'm going to keep pronouncing it with a T. Because a T apparently is supposed to be silent. So it should be like Voldemort. Yeah, Voldemort. Which sounds even more pretentious than the Voldemort. I, maybe I'm not pronouncing sanguine right, but I've I never struggled with that word. Sanguine. It's a kind of funny thing if there's only one G in it, but you actually pronounce the G twice. Um, at least I always have. Oh, please, she says I'm pronouncing it correctly. Aha. But, but the funniest mispronunciation. I'm more likely to use it incorrectly than to, to mispronounce it. Just be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, one I struggled with um, a lot for years was reconnoiter. Um, and there's, there's a couple of that in the chat room and spell it out for me. So there's like reconnoiter or reconnoiter. They both are actually correct pronunciations, but um, it's not. It, I really struggle with that because to me it looks like reconnoiter. Um, I have never said that right because I say reconnoiter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, reconnoiter is is how I I learned it, but how I eventually learned it. Um, and I do think there's more than. Um, and it depends if you can put the K sound in one of two places, um, but I, I always pronounce it reconnoiter, and that was not right. But then Renaissance and reconnaissance. Why is it? What? Why is there a K in there? I don't like that. Where? I reject your reality. Why is there a K at? sound? Why is reconnoiter? Well, Why is there a K sound? Phonet- phon- phonetically, C's are pr- hard C's are pronounced as, are, are displayed as a K. So, but why but, isn't reconnaissance that way? <laughs> Am I saying that wrong too? No, reconnaissance, that's correct. French people. (laughs) 
reconnaissance has the same k sound that hard c is is would be phonetically written as a k Now say it for me again, the accurate way. Which one? Which one? Reconnaissance? Reconnoiter. No, the other one. Oh, Wait, oh. Um, reconnoiter or reconnoiter, depending upon which way you, you learned it. They're both correct. So you can say reconnoiter. The emphasis on the, on the, on the noi, N-O-I, that the, the, the emphasis syllable is the third one. Or you can say re, reconnoiter. But they're both correct. But reconnoiter is not is not right. So, and which is the way I learned reconnoiter. Me yeah. too. Reconnoiter. Reconnoiter sounds. But the funniest mispronunciation ever. It was not done by me. Um, it was this, from when I was back in my days living in Texas. So you will not be surprised. And I, to this day, when I'm, I will make jokes with my family. Um, is it was the somebody was reading something, um, and the phrase was suave and debonair. Um, and he pronounced it suave and deboner. Um, <laughs> I I try I try not to laugh at people's mispronunciations, but I almost fell out of my chair laughing over suave and deboner. Um, so I still I still awesome. deboner is awesome. Yeah. I was, so anytime we we do something kind of really awkward, my family will go, "Well, that was swaving the boner." <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little family joke. Calvary. Yeah, cavalry is not the same as calvary. That's um, totally different. Cavalry. And it's sort of like nuclear calvary. and nuclear and nu- nu- I can't even say it wrong. I nuclear. Um, I know some people cannot say it nuclear. I, I have I have to really force my mouth to use to say it wrong nuclear nuclear okay but i clear and i just always it's nuclear yeah like nuclear like a lear jet it's like a nuke and a lear jet nuclear um but so many people pronounce it nuclear and every time i hear it i just kind of wince (laughs) it's not nuclear Part of our nuclear family. <laughs> yeah. Nuclear. Nuclear. Nu- nu- How you say it right? <laughs> you fucked me up. <laughs> nuclear. Nuclear is right. No, nuclear. 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 You're fucking me up. I have several members of my family who add a K to Walmart. Where do you put a K in Walmart? At the end, Walmart. So it's not Walmart. It's Walmart. Yeah. Of course, these are also the same family members who put the in front of Taco Bell. Like there's only one. I'm going to the Taco Bell. <sighs> the Taco Bell. Well, it's sort of like. Um, one of one of the there's this oh, basically the old Mission Road um, in um, California that ran more or less from Southern California to Northern California, and it was from Mission to Mission to Mission to Mission. So it's like this really long, hundreds of miles road that is not a freeway, 
and it's called El Camino Real, which basically means the road. Um, but El means the, and yet the way everybody says it is the El Camino. So it's like we're being super redundant. <laughs> the, the. Yeah. The, the. The, the road. That means it actually literally means the real way, but L still means the. So we'll be like, oh yeah, it's over on the El Camino. It's like, um, hmm, okay. In there. Why do we do that? We don't know. Oh yeah, Wally World. Yeah, Wally World's pretty common for Walmart. It's because it's that level of absurdity over there. You know, we actually were down to five minutes. We actually talked very little about writing by committee. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a little bit of a craft meander. Well, that happens. Um, Yeah. The thing is, is it it boils down to that um, when you put too many people in proximity to your creative process, you can dilute your idea and make a big fucking mess of it, and then you'll start hating your work. Um, it's very important to trust the people that you involve in your process. And trust your own instinct. Um, if something doesn't resonate with you, figure out, you know, stop and figure out why. If somebody gives you some advice and you're like, it may sound okay, but if it's just not gelling, you know, you got to go with your, you got to go with what feels right to you. And it may not gel because of some plot point you haven't considered or something that the other person doesn't know yet. Um, I've had that conversation with people where I said, you know, that's not gelling for me, but I'm not sure why. And then we talk it out some more. And there's usually some piece of information that the person that I trusted, you know, trust to actually have this conversation with doesn't know when they, we're giving that piece when they would give that piece of advice. So, um, but sometimes people just, you know, they, they give advice based upon their experience or where they think you're going or whatever. And some of it, some of it's really good advice and some of it is, um, it won't sit right with you and that's okay. That's the important part is it's okay for you not to take other people's advice. And if you're working with people who can't bear to be told no, or can't bear to see their ideas taken out of your story they need to not be in your process because it's not their story. Because the end, it's yours. it's yours. It's yours. So it's yours. Yeah. And if they, I'm and if also guilty of pen number. I know plenty of people who say pen number. Yeah. Pin number is I've also been known to say ATM machine. <laughs> well it's because it's because the the acronym because it becomes a a distinct noun in the, in our vernacular and so right. that's the way we use it. What was that? What was what? Oh. Oh, I just was trying to decipher. <laughs> oh, mine, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, mean, I have I have worked with people who have been like just super sad that an idea they gave me didn't make it into a story, and that's just if you're ever working with somebody on a story and you are sad, just don't express it. They don't need to know that. It's not your story. Okay, we're down to just a little over a minute. Um, just, you know, people tell you to be careful with um, with your heart and to be careful with um, who you allow into your life. Be just as careful about who you let into your work because the wrong kind of person can damage you in ways that um, you don't even know. That's all I gotta say about that. Um, say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone. <laughs>